0: And with that, please make sure you have your Bibles in hand. We're going to dive into God's Word today. We're going to be beginning in just a few moments in Deuteronomy chapter 24. That's the fifth book of the Bible there in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, there was a certain married couple. They hadn't been married very long, but one night they had a huge argument. They just blew up at each other, and they were so angry that they decided to give each other the silent treatment. And so about three days into their standoff, they hadn't said a single word to each other in three days. The husband kind of thought to himself, "Uh uh-oh, I need to ask my wife for a favor, but I don't want to be the one to break this standoff. And so he writes her a little note. He says, I have to wake up by 5 a.m. tomorrow. Please wake me up. And so he wrote that note and he handed it to his wife. And he knew full well that if he didn't get up at 5 a.m., he was going to miss his flight to fly to Chicago for a business trip. And so he gives the note to his wife. "Uh, Wouldn't you know it, the next morning... He slept right through his alarm. He wakes up and realizes it's nine o'clock and he's completely missed his flight. Well, he is so angry, he's about to yell at his wife. But before he yells, he notices there's something on his forehead. He he pulls it off and notices that it's a post-it note on which is written in his wife's handwriting. It's 5 a.m. Wake up. (laughs) That is an example of a marriage that wasn't working so well. Now, let me give you an example of a a marriage that did work pretty well. Uh, Back in 2005, the Guinness Book of World Records said that Percy and Florence Aerosmith held two records. Number one, they had the record for the longest married couple still alive. They had been married at that point for 80 years. And they also held the world record for having the greatest combined age of any living married couple. Together, they totaled 205 years of age. And so they were world record holders. And so they were interviewed as part of this Guinness Book uh, uh, interview that went on. And, and as they were interviewed, Mr. and Mrs. Aerosmith gave some advice to having a long and happy marriage. Here's what Florence said. She said... You must never go to sleep as bad friends. If you've had a quarrel, you make it up. Never be afraid to say sorry. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? This is what her husband, Percy, had to say, and he was speaking specifically to husbands. He said the secret to his long marriage was just two words. Yes, dear. (laughs) That's pretty good advice for husbands, isn't it? Well, this month at Impact, we've been diving into God's word, and we've been talking a lot about marriage. We've opened God's word together and taken a closer look at God's blueprint for marriage. We've looked a little deeper and seen what God has to say about compatibility and what God says about sexual intimacy within marriage. And if you're married, I trust that these messages have been a blessing to you and have helped your marriage. If you're single but plan to get married someday, I hope that these messages have helped you better understand what a good and godly marriage looks like and have put you in a place where you can more faithfully choose a spouse with whom you are compatible. Well, each of these messages is available online as part of this series on our website, on our YouTube channel and on Facebook. You can catch any one of these marriage messages. And so I hope in the months to come, you'll come back and revisit some of these messages. And I specifically preach this series not just for you, but also for your family and friends who are married or soon will be married, I want you to be able to have this as a resource. Refer them back to these messages so they can be a blessing to them as well. So many marriages, especially Christian marriages, could be saved a lot of pain and heartache if they would simply listen to the insights from God's word and apply them to their marriages. Well, this morning, we're going to take a closer look at one more very important marriage topic. And in this day and age when around half of all Christian marriages end in divorce, it's imperative that we open God's word and listen to what the creator of marriage has to say about separation and divorce. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at uh, four key Bible passages. We'll just look at each of them briefly as we look at four passages in one sermon. You know, it's inevitable we can't uh, go as deep as I'd ideally like to with each of those passages. So we'll just hit some highlights of these four very important passages where the word of God speaks regarding separation. And divorce. Two of those passages will be in the Old Testament. Two will be in the New Testament. So let's start in the Old Testament. I had you turn a few moments ago to Deuteronomy chapter 24. We're going to start with this first passage in the Bible that deals with the certificate of divorce. Deuteronomy 24, beginning in verse one. This is what God's word says. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, And he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man. And her husband, her second husband, dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be a detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. In the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, God gives the nation of Israel 613 laws that they were commanded to follow as his chosen people. And one of those laws is given to us in these four verses we just read. First four verses here in Deuteronomy chapter 24. I want you to notice as you have your Bibles open there. God doesn't give a command. He doesn't give a law in verses one, two or three. Those first three verses of chapter 24 are simply setting the stage. They're providing the backdrop for the one law he does give in verse four. And so what is that law? Well, that law boils down to this. A divorced man must never remarry his ex-wife once she has married another man. That's what we read in verse 4. Verses 1 through 3 are just setting the stage for God to give that one command. It's really important to notice what God does and doesn't do in this passage. And I should say it this way, what God does and doesn't say in this passage. Let's start with what he doesn't say. First, he he doesn't say that a husband who finds something indecent in his wife must divorce her. God doesn't even say that that husband should divorce her. There's no command to divorce given in verse 1. God simply says if he writes her a certificate of divorce. And in verse 3, as God speaks of the woman's second marriage, he doesn't command the second husband to divorce her either. There is still an understood If, if her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies. That's what God says. So despite what the Jewish rabbis taught for centuries, this passage here in Deuteronomy 24 does not encourage divorce. And it certainly doesn't command divorce. In fact, it implies just the opposite. Notice why God says a man shouldn't marry his ex-wife once she has married a second husband. Even if that second husband has died, look at verse four again. She has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So what does God mean when he says she has been defiled by her second husband? Simply put, he is saying that she becomes an adulteress. Certificate of divorce or not, she has become an adulteress by having sex with a second man while her first man is still alive. So God tells the first man not to remarry her because after having sex with her second man, she is now an adulteress. Make sense? I know this interpretation to be true because Jesus confirms it twice in the New Testament. He confirms this interpretation in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount and again in Matthew nineteen. We'll touch on both of those passages in just a little while in this message today. I think you'll agree that this is a, a clear takeaway, a clear insight from deuteronomy chapter twenty four verses one through four. I think this is a, a an important takeaway. God takes our our wedding vows seriously. He does not take divorce or remarriage lightly. Do you agree that that is a clear insight that we can draw from these verses here in Deuteronomy 24? I think it's clear that God is not a big fan of divorce from what we read in these four verses. But what does he really think about divorce? It's one thing for these verses to imply that God doesn't like divorce. But does he come right out in Scripture somewhere and say, this is what I really think about it? As a matter of fact, he does. It's the second of the Old Testament passages we'll look at. It's the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. So I want you to turn to Malachi chapter 2. Uh, that's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. Last book in the New, in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. This was the last Old Testament book to be written. Once Malachi was written, there was a 400 year period of silence where no scripture was written. And so you better believe that this was the last book of the Old Testament that God had written. And he knew that there was going to be about 400 years before his son, Jesus Christ, came onto the scene to be the word of God, delivering his message to the people of Israel. If God knew that, certainly he would pack into this last book of Malachi some very, very important things that he wanted the people of Israel and then even Christians today to know. And yes, that's exactly what he did. He put something very, very important in the book of Malachi that all of us who were married or hope to be married someday, need to hear. It's in Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. This is what God says to the people of Israel and to us today. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? Why? Well, it's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. And listen to verse 16. I hate divorce says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence. Well, he can't get much clearer than that, can he? God doesn't stutter here. He doesn't kind of leave open to interpretation what his true thoughts and feelings are about divorce. He says so plainly in verse 16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. It can't get any clearer than that. So why does God hate divorce so much? Well, three different times in this passage, God speaks of the sin of breaking faith with the wife of your youth. He says it in verse 14. He says it again in the next verse in verse 15. And then says it a third time in verse 16. Three verses in a row. Three times in a row. He says, I hate that you break faith with the wife of your youth. He says it most clearly, I think, in verse 14. God says in verse 14, the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. When a man and woman get married, they stand in front of God and each other and they make a covenant. They forged this covenant, a binding, lifelong commitment, promising to love, honor, and cherish each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And that covenant is binding until one of them dies. So God says in a nutshell here in Malachi chapter two. Husbands, when you divorce your wife, you are shredding your marriage covenant. You are abandoning your marriage partner and you are breaking the trusting relationship that you promised to her on your wedding day. And when you break your relationship with her, you break your relationship with me. See how God says that there? He says you're breaking your relationship with me because you're breaking your relationship with her. And I hate it. I hate it. Well, fast forward about 400 years, as Jesus came onto the scene, many of the Jewish rabbis had twisted what God had said about divorce in the Old Testament. And so by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, many of the the Jewish rabbis had taught uh, the Jewish people that God approved of divorce for many reasons, most reasons, as long as that divorce was initiated by the husband. Not too fair to you ladies, was it? But that's what many of those rabbis taught. They said there are all sorts of legitimate reasons for a husband to divorce his wife. Like if she was a lousy cook or if she had lost her good looks or her hourglass figure or he found another lady that was younger and more attractive to him. For all of those reasons, many, re- many Jewish rabbis said it was okay for a Jewish man to divorce his wife. And Jesus steps forward and says, not so fast. That's not what God's word teaches at all. Jesus says it early in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 verses 31 and 32. And Jesus says it again later in his ministry in even more detail in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. So I want you to see it for yourself. Turn in your Bibles, just one book to the right from Malachi, to the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3. This is what Jesus says. We're going to set the, the stage for you here with verse 3 as uh, a question is posed to Jesus. It says, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. That is not the way it was from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, Commits adultery. Now, notice what Jesus does here. He takes his listeners back to the very beginning. That passage we've already looked at several times in this marriage series this month. He takes them back to Genesis 2. And he shares with them that beautiful verse at the end of Genesis chapter 2. Verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And then in verse 6 here in Matthew 19, Jesus adds this short commentary that has been repeated literally millions of times over the last 2,000 years when Christian pastors have officiated wedding ceremonies. He adds in verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let Man, not separate. Jesus' critics ask a follow-up question in verse 7. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Notice that they're twisting God's words. God didn't say that in the Old Testament, did He? Neither God nor Moses ever commanded a husband to divorce his wife in the Old Testament law. Listen to Jesus' key words as he responds to the Pharisees' question. He responds in verses 8 and 9 and says this, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits Adultery. For over 1400 years, many Jewish leaders have been misinterpreting Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. But here Jesus sets the record straight. He says it in plain English how God interprets Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. In most cases, when a divorced man marries another woman, Jesus says he's committing adultery with his new wife. And we ask the question, well, why? Well, because in God's eyes, he's still married to his first wife. In the same way, when a divorced woman marries another man, she's committing adultery with her new husband. Why? Because in God's eyes, she's still married to her first husband. She's committing adultery. Her new husband is committing adultery. Her ex-husband, if he got remarried, is committing adultery. And his new wife that he married is committing adultery. All four of them are committing adultery because in God's eyes, there were no biblical grounds for a divorce in the first place. Their divorce might have been legal, but it wasn't biblical. Uh, Their divorce might have been sanctioned by their community, but it certainly wasn't sanctioned by God, according to Jesus. Here in Matthew 19, verse 9. Jesus repeats what he says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.32. He offers us only one reason for a divorce that is acceptable to God. Marital unfaithfulness, also known as adultery. Adultery. Many Christians ask, well, does Jesus give a divorced Christian permission to marry someone else if there were no biblical grounds for divorce? Let's say you got a divorce and there wasn't an adultery involved. Does God give us permission as Christians to marry someone else? The biblical answer is no. He doesn't give us permission. Others will say, well, in that case, does Jesus give a divorced Christian to marry someone else if there were biblical grounds for divorce? Once again, the answer is yes, He does. Yes, He does. I, I've looked especially at verse 9, in multiple English translations, and I've looked at several respected commentaries, and I am confident that that's what Jesus is saying. Not only would God give you the ability to have a divorce if there was marital unfaithfulness, adultery, He would also give permission to marry someone else. If a husband commits adultery... God gives his wife permission to divorce him. God doesn't command it. God doesn't even encourage it, but he does permit it. And if after the divorce is final, she chooses to marry another man, God doesn't command it. God doesn't encourage it, but God does permit it. So she is not committing adultery with her new husband. Why not? Because in God's eyes, she is not still married to her first husband. God accepted her grounds For divorce. Make sense? One more thing before we move on to our final scripture. Do you remember what the Old Testament punishment for adultery was? The Old Testament punishment for adultery, take the woman and the man out and stone them to death. Remember, the punishment for adultery was capital punishment, it was death. So here in verse 8, I believe among other things, Jesus is pointing out that in the Old Testament, Divorce was a concession by God. In other words, if a husband was unwilling to have his wife killed because of her adultery, God allowed him to divorce her instead. That's what Joseph was planning on doing with Mary when he thought that she had cheated on him when she was pregnant with Jesus. Right. That's what Joseph was planning to do, to put her away quietly, to divorce her instead of trying to pull in that Old Testament punishment punishment of uh, capital punishment goes on to say divorce was, in a sense, an act of mercy. But like we do so often, we have taken an act of mercy and twisted it into an act of selfishness and sin. Now, turn to one last passage. First Corinthians, chapter seven, beginning in verse 10. First Corinthians, chapter seven, beginning in verse 10. We looked at the early part of this chapter uh, last week as. Uh, we were talking about uh, sexual intimacy. Uh, but I want you to see what Paul says a little bit further down, beginning in verse 10. Uh, he points out some very important things in this passage. First Corinthians chapter seven, beginning in verse 10. This is what Paul writes. If I can get to the right page in my Bible here. He says to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is such an important passage. Notice how Paul addresses Christian couples in verses 10 and 11. So don't miss this. You may want to write in the margin of your Bible next to verses 10 and 11. Here he is speaking to a Christian couple. The husband is a Christian and the wife is a Christian. It's a Christian couple. In verses 10 and 11, he says, if you and your spouse are both Christians, don't separate. Don't do it. In other words, don't get a divorce. And so it boils down to this. If two Christians are in a crummy marriage together, God doesn't want them to get divorced. Okay? Can I, can I be any clearer than that? That's what Paul is saying here in verses 10 and 11. Remember, God hates divorce, and He especially hates it among believers and among His followers. However, if for one reason or another two Christians do end up divorcing each other, Paul says they have two options. Option one is for them to remain unmarried. Why? Well, Jesus has already answered that question. If they marry someone else and there was an adultery in their first marriage, they're committing adultery with their new spouse. So option one is to stay single. Option two is the better option. Those two Christians should be reconciled to each other. Work together with God to fix your broken marriage. So if you two haven't remarried someone else, You're still single after getting a divorce. God wants you to be reconciled. That's the better of the two options. My parents actually did this. They were both Christians for many years, had been married for 50 years and got a divorce. I won't get into the reasons why that happened, but they ended up getting a divorce after 50 years of marriage. After a year or so, I was on the phone with my mom and I found out she had been dating my dad again. And she wasn't planning on stopping dating my dad. She asked for my advice. And so on the rare occasion, my mom asked for my advice. I'm happy to give it to her. I said, Mom, you need to remarry him. Biblically, that's what you should do as a Christian, remarry him. And so she did. They went down to the courthouse and got remarried after about two years of being divorced. I think that honored God because it was in line with his word. Now, notice what Paul says in verses 12 through 16 here. He's not addressing a Christian couple. He's addressing a mixed marriage, a marriage where a Christian is married to a non-Christian. It's an unequally yoked marriage. Bottom line, wives, if your husband isn't a Christian, don't divorce him because he's not saved. Same for husbands. If your wife's not saved, don't divorce her because she's not a follower of Christ. Instead, pray for her. Try to lead her to Christ. But even if she refuses to turn to Christ, don't divorce her. Now look at verse 15. Ladies, if your unbelieving husband leaves, if he walks out the door and doesn't come back, Paul says, let him go. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. Now, this word bound is a legal term which most Bible scholars interpret to mean legally bound in marriage. So Paul seems to be allowing a Christian permission to divorce his or her non-Christian spouse in cases of physical abandonment. He doesn't command it. He doesn't encourage it, but he permits it. And he doesn't address the question of whether or not it's okay for that divorced Christian to marry someone else once they've gone through a divorce as a result of being physically abandoned by a non-Christian spouse. In fact, down in verse 27, if you were to skip down there, you'll see in verse 27, Paul writes, Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. So whenever someone asks me, is it okay for them to remarry? After being abandoned and divorced by a non-Christian spouse, I have to be honest with them. If there was adultery, the Bible is clear. Yes, they have God's permission to remarry. But if there was an adultery and there was simply physical abandonment, I cannot biblically say God allows it because the Bible is unclear. That's not a clear condition under which a Christian can be remarried without sinning. I just can't say for sure. And please don't make the mistake that many Christians make today. They twist what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, they, they say, he's, well, as he's talking about physical abandonment, that includes uh, abandoning my spiritual and my, my emotional needs as well. That's not what he's saying here. It's a very specific situation. This biblical release from a marriage doesn't apply to a marriage between two Christians. It doesn't apply to cases where a spouse is an addict or is incarcerated or even abusive. Now, I'll be the first to say, if you or your kids are in physical danger because of your spouse's abuse, you've got to bolt you got to get out of there. You've got to make sure you and your kids are in a safe place. Separate from your spouse if there is physical abuse taking place. But don't think that automatically separation equals divorce. If there are not biblical grounds for divorce, more times than not, I believe God wants us to work on our marriage from a safe distance. You see, God hates abuse. But as we've seen today, God also hates. Hates divorce. So, more times than not, when we're separated from our spouse, God wants us to work toward reconciliation. Sometimes we do just have to do that from a safe distance. Now, I want to draw your attention to two books that are great resources for any of us who are married, especially for those of us who are thinking that our marriage is not good, it's not happy, and maybe. I should get a divorce. The first of those books was written five years ago by one of our own church members, one of our deacons, in fact, Manuel Villalobos. Five years ago, he published this book called God Hates Divorce. It's a pretty clear title, isn't it? And Manuel in this book shares his testimony of how his marriage was on the brink of divorce, but God brought his marriage through and he and his wife are still married today. It's, it's a powerful testimony that Manuel shares in his book. And we've got a few copies at the church. And if you'd be blessed by this book, just reach out to us and let us know. We'd, we'd like to get you one. It's also available on Amazon. The second book I want to share with you is just one I've recently discovered. It's it's titled, I Don't Want a Divorce, A 90-Day Guide to Saving your marriage. It's written by Dr. David Clark, a licensed Christian marriage counselor who's been counseling couples for more than 30 years. And, and over that 30 years, he has gone into God's word, looked at these passages about marriage and divorce. He's counseled with hundreds of couples and he's developed a program, a plan for any marriage to be made happier and stronger, even those that are on the brink of divorce. I really, really like this book a lot. It is so good. Dr. Clark presents a really effective step by step guide for making our marriages so much better. So many of us throw up our hands and say, uh, My marriage is a mess, but I have no idea how to fix it. Well, this book will show you how to fix it with God's help, it'll show you. It provides a guide that is clear and is solidly grounded in Scripture. And no, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to carry it out. You and your spouse can carry out the principles laid out in this book. You just have to be willing to work hard. You have to be willing to look in the mirror at your own faults and humble yourself before God and your spouse. And you've got to want it. You've got to really, really want your marriage to be better. Dr. Clark points out that almost all troubled marriages fall into one of these three categories. Category one, we're unhappy, but willing to work on it. That's a we're unhappy, but willing to work on it marriage. On one end of the spectrum, there's some couples that say, you know what? My marriage is okay, But honestly, if you corner them and get the truth out of them, it's really not that okay of a marriage. And needs some help on the other end of the spectrum are these category one marriages where they're on the brink of divorce to divorce waiting to happen. But if both the husband and wife are willing to work on it, this book will help. Other marriages that are in trouble fall into the second category. He calls it the my spouse won't change marriage. Many of you have experienced that in your own marriage or know some couple that has. There's a husband, or more often than not, the wife, that says, honey, our marriage isn't very good. We need to work on it. She wants to put in the work to change the marriage, but the husband's completely unwilling. Sometimes it's a husband. He's wanting to put in the work, but the wife is unwilling. They're not on the same page. They don't both want to put in the work to fix that marriage. This book addresses those in that situation as well and walks a single husband or wife through how they Can help bring their marriage healing. And then other marriages that are hurting fall into this third category. My spouse has sinned big time. Many marriages fall into that. Maybe it's because of adultery. Maybe it's because of some sort of abuse. Maybe it's because of an addiction to alcohol or maybe problem gambling where the husband has squandered all the uh, the life savings of the husband and wife and and they're in financial ruin because of his selfish mistakes. And sometimes it's a lady running off and doing things that have just been a a complete uh, uh, destructive force in their marriage. This book can even help couples with those types of situations walk through a process of healing. If you can identify with any of these three categories, if in some way your marriage is struggling or broken, I knew it wouldn't be okay for me just to share a message with you today and say, God hates divorce, so don't do it. The Bible says more than that. And there's some wonderful resources made available to us by God and by the church to help us see healing and restoration in our marriages So many of us are willing to put in work to see our marriages become stronger. And I'm telling you, this book, I Don't Want a Divorce, is a great guide that you can walk through to see your marriage become stronger and happier. One thing I like about this book is that Dr. Clark does something that most Christian pastors and most Christian counselors are not willing to do. Most Christian pastors and and, and most Christian counselors don't have the guts to say some of the things that Dr. Clark says in this book. He routinely tells couples with troubled marriages when they spill the beans and share all the things that are wrong with the other partner in their marriage and all the ways their marriage is broken, he'll just flat out tell them, your marriage is over. We can't save it, and frankly, it's not worth saving. Take your marriage out back and shoot it. Most Christian pastors wouldn't dare say that to a couple in front of them, would they? Most Christian counselors wouldn't either. And so when he shares this with a couple that's in a hurting marriage, of course they're shocked and many times are ready to stand up and walk out of the room. But he says, wait a minute, I'm not done. And he goes on to say this, your old marriage is over. That's the one I want you to shoot and bury. What we've got to do is build a brand new marriage, one that works One that God has always wanted the two of you to enjoy together. With God's help, we can build that new marriage together. You see, when our marriages are broken, so often we jump ship, we get a divorce and build a brand new marriage with someone else. And it's out of God's will. What God wants you to do, what He gives you the tools to do, is build a brand new marriage with your same old spouse. Amen? We can follow the principles of Scripture and stay married, but have a marriage that is happy, that is strong, that flourishes. And God can help us do that by His grace. It's not very often that I recommend a book so strongly, but I'm strongly recommending that you get this book into your hands. Even if you're on the brink of a divorce, this book will help you understand God's plan for building a brand new healthy and happy marriage Not with someone else, but with the spouse that you've already married. You see, God hates divorce because God loves marriage. So you'd better believe that he is willing to roll up his sleeves and work with you to make your marriage better than ever. And believe me, you have a pastor and you have a church family that's willing to help you walk through this process. Let us walk through it with you so we can see our marriages be better than ever. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you so much that you don't just give us these commands in Scripture. Thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that. Lord, you give us the tools not only to obey you, but to see our lives and our relationships flourish as we do. Anything you ever ask us to do is for our own good. Anything you ever command of us is commanded because you love us and you want to see us experience hope and a future. Lord, I want to pray for the marriages right now that are struggling. They might say their marriage is okay, but they know deep down it's not okay. Lord, some marriages are a divorce waiting to happen. Other marriages, Lord, are in an affair waiting to happen because the husband or the wife are just not feeling like their spouse is meeting their needs. And so they're looking to get those needs met elsewhere. Lord, I pray that this message would serve as a wake-up call for all of us to put in the work, to be humble, to lean on You, to be honest with ourselves and with our spouse and with You about our own issues in our own marriage. And I pray that we would do what it takes to see our marriages rebuilt from the ground up in a way that is more honoring and glorifying to you than ever before. Lord, heal our marriages, strengthen our marriages, and help them to bring joy and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, if we can be of help to you in your marriage, let us know. Please go back and revisit these messages. They're going to be available online, YouTube, Facebook, and at our website. We don't plan on taking them off anytime soon. So use them as a resource. Implement these principles. Get a hold of this book. So I was reading through it last week. I was sharing it with my wife, Christina. I said, Man, this is so good. It helped me in my marriage, even though I'd say my my marriage is happy, and Christine and I are getting along really well at this season in our marriage, but even still I was being blessed by the insights. In this book by Dr. Clark. And I was certainly blessed as I dove into God's word. And heard what he had to say. About the wonderful establishment and institution of marriage. God is so good. If you've never accepted Christ. Please don't drag your feet. Accept him today. A. Admit that you are a sinner. B. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C. Choose to follow Jesus Christ. Beginning today. If you'd like to make that decision for Christ or if we can pray for you or help you in any way, reach out to us at the church office. You can reach us by phone at 760-246-4100 or you can shoot us an email at info at greaterimpact.cc. Once again, that's info at greaterimpact.cc. It's been so good to be with you this month in our marriage renovation series. It's been so good to be with you in worship today, the final Sunday of the month of January. We sure hope you'll tune in right on time next week to join us as we dive in to the book of Titus together. It's going to be a great study. God bless you as you love and trust and serve our Lord Jesus Christ this week. And those of you that are married, may God richly bless your marriage.